Yeah, when you read through Luther's small catechism, you see that it's actually just one thing, okay? The way that we have it in our catechism, we kind of break it up into um, it's five different things. And then the, the preface to the catechism is actually included as an appendix, which drives me absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So when we talk about the Lutheran confessions, about the Book of Concord, so this is put together in 1580, basically because a bunch of people were accusing us of not actually holding to the one true faith. And over, over the course of uh, uh, 60 years, we assembled all these documents and we were like, well, this is just what we believe. These are the things that we believe. Because um, people are actually trying to kill us. Like, so we're like, well, yeah, we believe these things, and this is what the church has always believed. So that's a big thing for us. Um, the first three things that we have in our Book of Concord are the three ecumenical creeds. Now, what's your favorite creed? Don't say the wrong one. Anyone? What's your favorite creed? Do you have a favorite creed? So you're cheating because that's the one that we use all the time. So that's normally the one that you use on Sunday mornings. That's always connected with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. The Apostles' Creed is given specifically in baptism. So it, it, it was taken from the old baptismal rites, okay? And it's still in there. We actually ask you if you believe the three articles of the Creed, all right? In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, it, it drives me absolutely mad that the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, like, they're plagiarizing. And it's, they're so similar. And it's like, I cannot keep them straight. And, it, yeah, it is so difficult to... Yeah, so normally, at least, I, I read this somewhere once, that you use the... Um, Apostles' Creed during the week, and the Nicene Creed on Sundays. Yes, exactly, because it's the baptismal creed. So, yeah, um, and then we also have the Athanasian Creed, and that is my favorite one. And I've learned so much from using the Athanasian Creed. It's long, and it seems like it's overly repetitive, um, but it really is beautiful. And there's some quite profound moments in the Athanasian Creed. It doesn't leave any doubt. Right, yeah, and it doesn't leave any doubt. And again, that's what I was saying today, too. The devil comes, and all he asks for you is ifs, you know, and so he's planting these seeds of doubt. So you're thinking even, well, if I am saved, if I am actually a child of God, if, 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 right? If, if, he, if you don't know the truth, he uses that against you. Yes, and he, yeah, he uses that against you. Yes. So there's different genres of things in, in the Bible. Things are supposed to be taken in different ways than other, or other parts of it, too. So. And, then, and then this one guy was like, I raise my glass to life and love. Yeah. Yeah, that's in Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty wild in Ecclesiastes. It, and it's something we should study again because it is so profound. The one where he says I raised back to life and love was in Psalms and Psalms. Oh, Song of Solomon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't read that yet. You're not old enough. You just told me that that was back in the day. Yeah, don't read that one yet. You have to be at least 30 before you can read that. Sometimes the back in the day rules are very good. The driving age in Jesus' day was 18. Just kidding. I don't know. I don't know when like uh, drinking ages became a thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they could get married. They were getting married basically once they reached puberty. 
Um, so, but, but yeah, I think it's an important thing to know that the Lutherans, we don't, we don't think we're just one denomination among many. Like, this is the true faith, and that's why we're here. Um, and that's why we don't just, like, close down and go somewhere else. Uh, this is it. And so when we go through the whole Book of Concord, we'll see, um, we keep referring to Scripture and to the Church Fathers, all right? And then what Luther teaches, if it makes sense. Um, but yeah, th- this is what the Church has always believed, and this is... That's, that's our legacy, uh, bringing that back out. So in the small catechism, there's six, six chief parts in the small catechism. The uh, Ten Commandments, the Lord, Ten Commandments, um, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Baptism, Confession and Absolution, and the, the Lord's Supper, Sacrament of the Altar. So six parts in the catechism. Now, in the preface to the catechism, Martin Luther says, like, everyone needs to drill themselves on this every single day. And again, he's talking about habits, you know. Um, The reason why you don't have, like, a robust personal devotional life is because you haven't cultivated the habit of doing that, right? Like, it's so, there's there's no magic to any of, I just heard it again. Um, Do you hear that? We will hunt that down and rip out. Yeah, we will rip out the uh, the little speaker from it and and hold it up before all other beeping low battery speakers. And, and it's not a speaker; it's a smoke alarm. Is it a smoke alarm? I don't think it is. Oh. Yeah. Well, anyways, we'll find it. But, um, oh, yeah, right. We can, <laughs> uh, it's like lightning and thunder, right? So, in Luther says that we're drilling ourselves on the catechism every single day. And, and if you read this, you'd find that there was this, there's a part where he actually says, like, if you got people in your house, who won't learn these things, you got to get rid of them. Um, if your kids and your servants, uh, meaning basically your employees, if, if, if they won't learn these things, you cannot have them around. This will be bad for you. And he's even like, don't let them eat. Don't let your kids eat until they say these things. Like, they got to know them. And, and I, I guess... For so long in this country and in parts of the world, you know, we've just kind of taken all these things for granted. Um, And and we can't do that anymore. Like no one else is going to raise your kids in the faith for you. Not even me. You can bring them and drop them off uh, for confirmation. But if you don't like bring them to church yourself and talk about these things at home, like they don't care. They don't care what I think about it. You know, um, and so you do actually have to do this, um, and the world will not tolerate you doing it either. This has happened in the past, where um, different states have come along and actually outlawed these things that we like to teach. You know, um, how many of you have actually read the Communist Manifesto? I have. You're not allowed to have religion in there. The religion is the state, okay? They're not like, well, yeah, that's what you believe. No, it's very... Um, they, they just put it out there. Like, well, you can't have other religions. There's just one religion. That is the state, and everyone is religiously devoted to it and worships the government, Okay. Uh, in this country, we might not have something like that happen, you know, but you will have, we, we already do have all the cancel culture stuff, right? Um, it, it won't, it won't take long for people who actually think that moms and dads are the best way to raise children are 
disenfranchised and canceled from the rest of their lives. Do you get it? (laughs) Oh, well, we'll find it next week during church. God can handle your anger, can't he? No. God's not angry at you. He's not angry at you. You can get angry at him, but he's not angry at you. No. That's actually what he says to you in your baptism. And again, that's the thing. You have certainty about that, and there's no ifs about it. He didn't say, well, as long as you can keep your end of the bark. He doesn't. Oh, I put my name on you, and I'm not taking it off. Ah, he does not disown his children. And the only reason we think about these things in that way is because we deal, that's how we deal with things, you know? Because we do have two, two-sided bargains. But that's not the way that God deals with his people. Uh, and he says, that, no, he doesn't do it. He makes, well, and you remember this with Abraham, when he makes it with Abraham the covenant, uh, it's a one-sided covenant, and he actually like does it while Abraham is sleeping. It was crazy. He he comes in and he he like signs the mortgage papers, and then pays the bill while you were asleep. Like you didn't even you didn't have anything to do with it. He just did it. Uh, yeah, it's great. One-sided covenant. That's what he does. So, yeah, you can be angry at him all you want. Go for it. I don't know. It's not the worst thing in the world. You wouldn't be angry at a God that you don't love. How angry am I at Vishnu? Yeah, how, how angry am I at Vishnu? Vishnu or Brahma? Uh, how angry am I at, uh, he's not a God, but Buddha? Am, yeah, am I angry at Allah? No, not real. Why not? He's not real. Okay. It's not going to reflect. Like what? Yeah, like I'm not angry at those gods because they're not real and I don't believe in them and I don't love them. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm not angry at Zeus. No. But it's, yeah, you can be angry at God. I mean, go for it. There's all sorts of psalms that express this too. Uh, psalms that express anger towards God. And that's in the Bible. You know, I mean. The cry of dereliction is the scariest thing in the world. Yeah, I don't know. What, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away from the sounds of my groaning? And there's no answer, is there? You know, and that, I didn't go there, but that's the other thing about the temptation as well. What do they, what do they tempt Jesus with at the cross? If you're the Son of God, just... Just come on down. Take yourself down from the cross. If you're the Son of God, call the angels. You know? And and he doesn't. He doesn't. It's amazing. Um, So yeah, when we look at the, the catechism, it used to be that you started off with prayer and then went to the creed and then to the commandments. The, the idea was that the Ten Commandments were the, like, the pinnacle of the Christian existence. Okay, Now what do we do? We start off with the Ten Commandments. Luther comes along and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, let's, let's pause here. The catechism, you drill yourself in this every single day 
but he puts the Ten Commandments at the front of the Catechism, and this is a huge development, because what they had been saying was that um, basically you pray and you believe, and then you go out and actually fulfill these things. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, when we look at the Ten Commandments, what do we see? Oh yeah, a reflection of my sinful nature. I mean, it does instruct me on actually like how to love my neighbor too. But when I go through the Ten Commandments and I'm honest with myself, I do not feel good about myself. It is wild. There is, um, in, the, in the Fifth Commandment, what's the Fifth Commandment? You yeah. got Seven. Huh? Yeah, don't murder. You shall not murder. So it's not only about not going around killing people. It's about actually, well, yeah, don't do that. You know, don't murder people. First off, everyone good? Don't do that. Uh, But then it's also about loving your neighbor and helping them and serving them in their bodily needs. And like, what's the first question that people have? They're like, even... uh, well, everyone's like, what about the people on the street corner? I drove past someone Don't who... Don't treat them like... Oh, oh, I know. Treat them as if they have a soul and stuff. Yeah, that's what we do. We treat them as subhuman. That's, or, or you're probably going to murder them. And it's ba- that's basically what it's saying is actually treat humans like humans. Isn't it? It's amazing. It, I think about this anytime. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to, well, I was, I heard this from a serial killer. oh, yeah, I, anytime you, it is terrible, right? You're sitting there at the intersection trying not to look at a human being. And you're like, ah, oh, it's the most inhuman interaction. What am I doing? I'm just. Now, I don't know what the best way to help that person is, but certainly like treating them like a human might be it. And sometimes they do, tr- sometimes they do behave as subhumans. And you can see it, you know. And that's what's terrible, is that the world has beaten them down so much that they don't even remember what it's like to actually to be human. I feel like my wife, I don't, because all I see is her. Well, she's a real human too. Yeah. And we are given to love one another. But, um, so Luther puts the commandments first. He said, like, when you go through the Ten Commandments, and again, if you're actually honest with yourself, what are you going to find? You're going to find, like, eh, I'm not cutting it, all right? And you have more than that before God. Your standing before God does not depend on how well you have loved your neighbor. I mean, he knows. He knows what's going to happen. Um, you know, what happens when we confess our sins? Is God shocked by this? He's like, oh, yeah, I know. I know. I love you. I mean, when, you're, when your kids do stuff, are you, like, shocked by this? Not really. Why not? Uh, you know, my children are the same age. Well, they do things... That I did, you know, like, oh, no, you're doing the same thing I did. You know, know, I get angry at them, Uh, mainly with, like, lying about homework stuff. Why are they doing that? Just do the homework, you know. But I was like, oh, no, you're going to end up like me. I didn't do homework till I was in, like, pastor school. You should wear your hair out. No. Do a hair I will take that advice under consideration. I don't know. Um, but but it is it is crazy. It's like kids just do your homework. Uh, learn your times tables. I never learned my times tables. I'm 37 years old, and I still don't know how to multiply 7 and 24 or whatever. I don't know. There are people who can just do these things. But, um, yeah, so anyways, 
the way that Luther reorients the catechism is just brilliant. We go through the commandments, we find out that we're actual sin, sinful people. This is called the law. So we go from the law to the gospel. Like, what's the end? What, what do we want you to actually know at the end of the day? Wretched man, who will save me from this body of death? And there actually is an answer to that. And it's in the creed and then the prayers. So this is, uh, that, and that's what the creed is. The creed, so the creed is actually really hard to memorize if you just think it's a bunch of words. If you think it's a story, then it's a lot easier to remember what happens when. Um, and I don't know if anyone else ever had that problem, but it's like, yeah, word, 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 word. Well, you can't remember that. But if you do actually see this is a story from the very beginning, from God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, to the very end, uh, looking for the resurrection of the body and the life of the the life everlasting, then it, it's it's just a, it's a whole story. Um, but yeah, it, it's great, and so that's the way that he reorients all this. Now, what also kind of like drives me crazy is that um, we forget that there's four other parts of it. In the small catechism, we have prayers for morning, evening, and then your meal times. So you pray before your meal and after your meal. And the, I've successfully led my family through the, the uh, Thanksgiving prayer and a meal, I think, exactly one time. Because it's like, well, when you have real little kids, I don't know if you guys do this, but it's like you basically are eating as fast as you can and then handing it off to the other parent. That's what we did. It was like, you know, it's a... Every once in a while, still now, it's like we find ourselves just eating as fast as we can. I do. And then I'm like, oh, why did I do that? It's like, oh, it's because I developed a habit over the last 10 years of scrambling to eat so that the children don't take over and uh, run a child kingdom while we're enjoying our good food. But... um, yeah, so there's there's the morning prayer, evening prayer, and then, then the meal prayers. And then we have this wonderful thing called the table of duties. He just goes through and he tells like everyone, he's like, hey, here's what you do. This is in the Bible. This is wonderful. Husbands love their wives. Wives respect their husbands. Huh? It could be. I know, I just heard it again. Um, and then we go through the baptismal booklet. Or marriage booklet and the baptismal booklet, yes. So he puts these things in there about marriage and uh, about baptism. But, yeah, it, it's, it's a different thing to just kind of read it through right away. Uh, now, the small catechism also is written. When it's written, it's originally, um, and we have some of them. They're probably too big, but... Um, it's originally published on, like, posters, basically. And so, essentially, you're supposed to take these things and put them up in your home. So, the small catechism also comes about because um, once they started getting out from under the thumb of the Pope, they started going around to the churches and seeing what people actually believed. It's called the Saxon Visitation. Um, and they went around and they found out that basically no one in any churches knew what they were doing. The priests didn't know what they were doing. The people didn't know what they were doing. And it was awful. Um, So about a third of the pastors during the time of the Reformation, um, just they were like beyond repair and just had to find something else to do. And then another third of them were okay. And then another third of them were just awful but too old. Uh, to do anything else. And so they let them stay. But this is where the catechisms come from. They're like, uh-oh, we gotta, like, we have to put these people through, it's like uh, remedial math or something. Um, it, this is like the gen eds of the Christian faith. Uh, you have to learn these things. So yeah, we attach the table of duties, what, what everyone is supposed to be doing um, and then 
marriage and baptism. So, and we've already looked at marriage and baptism, by the way, uh, during the right stuff when we're looking at the, the particular orders of these things. Uh, but he gives you those things, and they're, they're great. So under the large catechism, uh, the preface of it, again, he's just saying, like, the only reason why we don't obsess over these things is because we don't actually think they have any power yeah. I mean, do you guys ever have this where if you're actually diligent in your daily devotional life, you will find, I guarantee you, that your life is better? Yeah. If you read your Bible and say your prayers every day, your life is better. Like You just see everything differently. And if those are the words that are on your tongue rather than like the hateful words... Again, like, you will genuinely feel better about life. It's crazy. If you forget all these things, though, um, what's the world have for you? It's scary out there. Nothing but words of hate and discontentment. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, there's probably people to one of those and bite their finger off their hand. There you go. Yes. Um, I don't want to burn my hand. Well, I'll burn it in the middle of the day. Cast it into the fire, Damien. No. I can't do it. Yeah. You've been watching Lord of the Rings? Oh. We have to be careful about these things, or else we'll we'll never talk about... Well, talking about Lord of the Rings is talking about the Bible. It's kind of crazy. You know it's all about Jesus, right? Like all those stories. Yeah, yeah. Even the orcs, that's about Jesus, too. Yes. Well, let's uh, let's let's not go there right now. Um, you know, Janet's not here to rebuke us about that. Uh, um. So the first commandment. Then, what's the first commandment? First commandment. No other gods. And this is, like, I think kind of, uh, maybe not revolutionary, but eye-opening. What does it mean to have a God? Something you worship. Something you put your security in. Uh, something you pray to. Uh, what are our common idols? Money. He even says that. He's like, this is the most common idol in the world, money. Back, and that's back when like money actually was worth something, you know. Florins is what their like unit of coin was. Yeah. Although I will tell you, I was, I was amazed this week. Um, I'll probably talk about this forever, but I found, well, are like, you guys have a junk drawer? You guys have two junk drawers? And we got three? We have a place where you deposit your change? Yeah, like, ours was like, there was just like too much around. So I took it to the Coinstar. That is an exhilarating experience. I don't know if you've ever done that. Take your spare change to the thing in the grocery store, stick it down in that slot, and man, it tells you how much is in there. You're like, really? Just sitting around? That's kind of cool. But uh, if you put it on an Amazon card, it gives it all to you. So, yeah. 
It is funny. You put it all in there and they're like, okay, you can get this money right now, but we're going to take 15% of it. Really? You're going to take money to give me the money that I brought into the store? This is weird. Yeah, well, I guess if uh, you just use the change, you know, pay for your groceries with $90 of uh, quarters and whatever it is. But, but um, yeah, money is our only, this, this is the hugest, the hugest God that we have. And it's just amazing to me that even 500 years ago, he's like, yeah, this is it. Money, that's your idol. Uh, we have other idols as well. He starts talking about um, how the family become, can become an idol as well. Um, there's all sorts of other idols that we can, we can um, find things, you know. But then there's a big one that he... Yes? Yeah, your family can become your idol. Your family, your wife goes to church for your for her husband and her children and the poor. It's and and you know and it's some, this is something that everyone has to answer for themselves too, right? Because my idols will look slightly different than your idols. Um, but yeah, anything that you put your hope in, whatever it is. Uh, he says this wonderful thing. Um, if your faith and trust are right, then your God is the true one, right? And he also says that, um, so does anyone know the uh, slogan for the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA? No, I actually like it. God's work, our hands. Like, that's actually just the doctrine of vocation. And it comes from the large catechism. Um, how does God work in the world? Well, through you. Through your hands. How do you receive God's gifts in the world? The magic? Is it like manna and quail? No, it's through other people. That's how God works. Um, so if you idolize the gifts over the gift giver. That's the problem. You know? um, what you need to do is recognize that your wife and your children, your husband, that these are gifts of God to you. They are not your gods, though. They say gifts from other people are only shiny glimmer. Well, shiny glimmer. In the Bible. I don't know. Um, I'd have to look it up. But it's, it's um, yeah, we receive our blessings from God through our neighbors, though. So now there's, so we put our trust and our hope in all things uh, like money and things like that. But there's also, um, Luther's very big on this. We, we put our trust in things like our own works, too, right? When I start to think that my works determine my standing before God, then I have said that I will decide how God feels about me rather than him declaring how he feels about me, okay? Um, and if you read any of this, you'll see that he, can, he always is like um, talking about the Carthusians. Carthusians. And you're like, what's the deal with the Carthusians? Um, there's this green alcohol, uh, chartreuse, is you can, you can go buy it at the brown jug. Um, it's too rich for my blood. But it comes from this uh, a Chartreusian uh, monastery in, I think it's in Switzerland. And a couple years ago, maybe 15 years ago, there was a documentary that came out called Integrate Silence. And uh, it was on Netflix for a long time. I don't remember, like, it drives me crazy. Things come and go from there. But... Um, so I can't recommend it anymore because you might have to buy it. But it's kind of maddening. Like the big thing that these people do is they just, just, just silence. And this, this documentary is like an hour and a half long. You can hear a footstep every once in a while, you know. Like all the, so they're, they're off in the mountains, locked away. And uh, all they do is pray. Uh, no one can go there. 
No one can go there. They're not, they're not married for sure. So we're supposed to think that these guys are holier than us because they're locked away and because they wear interesting clothes. The, uh, uh, the Carthusians, don't be one. There's something interesting about it, you know. Um, does anyone, like, feel the draw towards becoming a monk or a nun? Do, do you guys get ads for this, by the way? Is it just targeted towards me? I, I, I get it all the time. They're like, have you considered... Uh, I get, I'm no kidding. I get, like, ads for becoming a monk on Instagram. Like... I think your algorithm is slightly off here. Uh, that ship has sailed for me in more than one way. Uh, I would hope that if I applied to like be a monk, they'd be like, I? yeah, don't you have like three children and you're a Lutheran pastor? You probably ought to go back and do that, you know? But uh, what's the appeal of, of going off and being a cloistered monk or a cloistered nun? Get away from the world. Live like a hermit. There's no TV. No. There's no Netflix. I don't think they even vote. I don't even know if they know what's going on in the outside world. You know? Uh, you, just, you just unplug from all of this, right? There's something appealing about that. I didn't draw any hunting tags this year. So, but one of the things I like about that though is like when you go off and like none of your stuff works anymore for a week and you're like, oh, great. And the world doesn't fall apart, even though I didn't answer my phone for a week. And then like once you like cross the line back into the like reception zone, all of a sudden it's like, so yeah, you just unplug from that for a while. This is like, this is why it is actually worth it to like every once in a while take some sort of uh, personal Sabbath or retreat from the world. You know, you can't do it all the time. This is why people go on vacation. You go on vacation, turn your phone off. But it's my camera. Ah, I'm screwed. Ah, this is awful. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I do have a friend who just started using a flip phone again. I'll be interested to see how he fares with it. Um, I can't send him uh, gifts and emojis now. But, you know, when I got here, I had a flip phone. It only changed in 2017. And uh, every once in a while, you get roped into a group text with, like, nothing but emojis. And then, then you just throw the thing away at that point. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing, though, when we when we set ourselves up as God, um, start thinking that we know better again about, in all sorts of different ways that they get, when we, either when we're like, look how much I gave to the church so God must love me more, or, or I am a piece of garbage. How on earth could he love me? So either, either in on that spectrum, you are setting yourself up as, as your own little God. When you think that it's your job to speak for him as to how he feels about you in ways that he's told you, uh, ways that he hasn't said, right? Because he has given you these testimonies, these promises, these signs even, in the word and the sacrament. And who are you to tell him that he's wrong? Huh? Repent of that. <laughs> Absolutely repent of that. He has... God? Are you going to tell God he's wrong? I wouldn't suggest it. He's not going to listen to you. He's happy with you for the sake of Jesus Christ, who you've been baptized into. Well, I can be a stupid idiot. Yes. Um, so the first table of the law is all about, uh, it, I mean, it's amazing. So the first three commandments, no other gods, um, Use his name right and keep the Sabbath day holy. So it's amazing. It goes from your heart to your mouth and then like to your life. 
So where, what's the closest thing to your heart is your mouth. And so the things that you actually believe and think actually will come out through your mouth. Um, and then this springs into the rest of your life. So how often do you need a Sabbath day? Ever. Ever. Once a week. No. Yeah, you need a Sabbath day once a week. You absolutely do. Why? Well, just try it. Like, just try to not take one. Do you ever meet people that work 365 days a year? They're not happy. They're angry about it. They're not happy. And, uh, and their families don't like them either, you know? Um, yeah, it's awful. I don't like that. Work has become their idol? Sure. Oh, yeah. And that, I think that's the whole point of the Sabbath day, the Sabbath year, and then the Jubilee year, too, is that you know this, right? So you're not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath day. And again, whatever. Guess what? You can go home and cook dinner. Like, this is a good thing. Um, this is not the point of it. You know, if you're, if you're a Jew... On the Sabbath day, you're not allowed to light a fire, and so you have to like have this special oven that just is like on all the time, and so you get all these like little loopholes in there. And that's not what it's about. Um, it's actually about resting. So yeah. Uh, so what does it mean by still do good though? Still do good. Yeah, do good on the Sabbath day, of course. I don't know. What do you think is good? You don't get to just say, like, well, I don't get to love my neighbor today because it's the Sabbath. Um, and the Sabbath day is actually set apart for the reception of the Word of God. Okay? Like, that's the whole point. And the, like, why is every single society in the world structured with a week? It, it's because this is, this is a thing that is only revealed by God. He creates the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rests. And that is this eternal schedule, dare I say, that the Lord has instituted. It's crazy. And we've talked about this, but how do you know a year? How do you tell it's been a year? One trip around the sun. One trip around the sun, yep. And, uh, you know... If I didn't have a calendar, I could tell it's getting to be about springtime, right? Because the willows are starting to come out. You're like, oh, I bet I could, I could guess pretty accurately what time of the year it is. Now, how, and how do you tell a month? The cycles of the moon. So you can tell that. And how do you tell a day? Sunrise, sunset. How do you tell a week? Well, yeah. Well, this still does. Yeah, you might get stuck there. Well, people aren't supposed to live there. Yes, they shouldn't be living there. Uh, yeah, how do you tell? How do you tell a week though? There's no natural cycle for it. There's no real reason for it to exist, other than it's the way that God made the world, and it's just the way that we work. So yeah, you actually do have to have a Sabbath. And if you go too long without one, you'll burn out, and then you'll take one anyways. You know, I mean, that's what happens, right? Every once in a while, you got to like work, 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 work. But then what happens? Like, your body actually keeps score of that. Yeah. You'll stop. Yep, you'll crash. Yeah, you'll crash. Hopefully you don't burn. Yes, but you will stop because it's just the way that the Lord made things. So it's, this is a wonderful thing. Um, and that's the whole first table of the law. It's your heart, your mouth, and then your life. And this is actually such an important thing that you're required to rest once a week uh, in order to receive the word of God. Yeah. So the Lord is a sign up for shares from the native corporation. That's more... I don't know. I, I'm not signed up for any shares. I don't think. Maybe I should. So these guys don't have to pay taxes. I think you... I don't know the ins and outs of that. 
I didn't even know you had to sign up for it. I thought you just like got signed up for it. But. Oh. Yeah, I think you should do that. I would. Um. So the whole second table of the law, though, is just about what we do in the eyes of man. All right, And the way that the Lord structures the Ten Commandments, too, is just, again, it's brilliant. It's not random. I don't know if I was ever taught that the Ten Commandments aren't given completely randomly. There is an order to them. Uh, it all starts with your actual true God using his name, resting. And then it goes into your neighbors. With your, who are your first neighbors? Who's your first neighbor? Your parents, your mom and your dad. And that's how we start. We talk about your mom and your dad, and, and we talk about all other authorities, too. Um, and when you're talking about your parents, you're also talking about uh, children as well. So this is, I mean, it's just great. So children have a, a God-given uh, role and responsibility in, in society in the way that God uh, orders things. This is a wonderful quote. It says that, uh, let all people know that it is their chief duty at the risk of losing divine grace first to bring up their children in the fear and knowledge of God and then if they are so gifted also to have them engage in formal study and to learn so that they may be of service wherever needed. What's the first thing though? Uh, bring your children up in the faith and the knowledge of God. All right, Everything else can come later. I mean really if you get that down like like as I've said before, like if my kids, if my kids want to go like join some pottery commune in San Francisco, that's fine. Like whatever. Um, like nothing really matters apart from the fear and the knowledge of God. Uh, and you can make the whole entire rest of your life work uh, if you've got that. If you don't, then like what's the point of all the rest of it? The pottery will, you know break and their their pottery commune will disband one day uh but it unless you have this actual fear and knowledge of god nothing else is actually that great so that's the thing about this too so guess what you don't have to go to the grand chartreuse monastery in switzerland although it looks nice um in order to live a life of holiness god has actually set up the world so that you um that your life is holy your life is sanctified uh, by the word of God, by prayer, by the very fact that you are doing the work of God himself, okay? So, uh, and it used to be thought that guys who are celibate, and this is, I mean, I'll admit to like thinking this, the celibate priests, I'm like, that's commitment, right? Uh, they can't get married. So, I was like, that is commitment. In reality, I've actually probably got a harder job, right, than the celibate priest down the street. Uh, Just down the street? Well, around the corner, but yeah. They do exist. Um, but yeah, it, it's. Huh? Mine? Um, how many children do they have to take care of? None. They don't have anyone else to think about other than themselves, you know. Um, it's probably more difficult being um, a married pastor with a bunch of kids than being a celibate priest. And on top of that, it actually has the Lord's approval. Oh, well, this is great. Because marriage is a gift and children are a gift. And this is, this is all a life of holiness, so there's this big contrast of celibacy and um, marriage in the catechisms. Now, we're almost done. I want to talk about this. If you look on the back page, this is in the Eighth Commandment. And I think that these are... Uh, it's easy to say I don't go around killing people. But the Eighth Commandment is a little, I don't know, more difficult. Listen to this. It is a common pernicious plague 
that everyone would rather hear evil than good about their neighbors. Isn't that crazy? And you can't say that's not true, too, right? Huh? It's awful. That I would rather hear evil about my neighbors than good about them. You know? Exactly. Um, people are, oh, people love hearing about demons. Demons, demons. People are like, ooh, tell me more about demons. Uh, Jesus, though. Yeah, I don't care. So then, when you become aware of sin, do nothing but turn your ears into a tomb and bury it. Isn't that crazy? We normally think it's our job when we find out about sin to do something about it. What are you supposed to do about it? Bury it. And then here we go. Rather, we should use our tongue to speak only the best about all people, to cover their sins and infirmities of our neighbors, to justify their actions, and to cloak and veil them with our own honor. So, I mean, I guess that's your challenge. Take that at least. You should try that. Uh, to cover your neighbor's sin this week. It is kind of fun to do it every once in a while. When you find out about some sort of secret sin, just cover it up. Speak well of people. Uh, You actually are given to do this in Christ. Their sins are forgiven. Um, So yeah, all life is made holy in the word of God by the gift of God. All life, and that's your life too. So uh, let us pray. Hey, children. Whatever. Agnes, you want to pray with us? Wrong answer. Um, All right, well, let us pray. Lord, we give thanks that you have called us to be your children and to love one another. We pray that we would truly go out and love you and serve our neighbors uh, this week and bring us all back together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.